you know the vibes welcome back to another week here at the hoop genius podcast myself moments alongside me as always the og the free-time nba champion mr bj armstrong and our weekly guest on a monday nba executive extraordinaire parking up perry mr scott is in the house <laughs> how you guys doing <laughs> why does that make me laugh every time <laughs> you say, yeah, yeah it makes me laugh every time too that's for sure you know what you know the vibes um, exactly first of all I'd like to apologize to the listeners for the lack of episodes last week. We were, what, 416 shows deep, and it was the first time we ever had to miss some. So yes. um, I was in Paris for NBA Paris, and I returned from Paris, and uh, the city had defeated me. I was down bad. I lost my voice. <laughs> so obviously losing my voice means I'm unable to do a podcast. But we back now, and I know you guys have been waiting for the reaction to the Seattle trade, so we're going to get into that today. But before we get into that, BJ, how are you feeling? I know your Detroit Lions are about to kick things off in the NFL playoffs just after we hey. finish recording. So, hey. nervous? No, you know, it's feel the roar. We're never nervous. <laughs> <laughs> We're never uncharted nervous. They can never be worse than our This is uncharted territory for us, so you know what? <laughs> we in a place we've never been before, so how can we be nervous? We've never been here. We don't know how to respond, but I can tell you this. We're going to be ready to fight, guys. We're going to be ready. Yeah. They what said the, cr- the crowd energy in there was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They said the st- it, w- it was it was so loud that it sounded like a, uh, it was as loud as a, a jet taking off on a, a, mm. an airport. Now you talking? Interesting. Yeah. Now so you talking? Now you, you know talking. the energy is gonna be be crazy back at home in Detroit today. That's for sure. <laughs> Feel the roar, gentlemen. Feel the Scott, roar. How about you? Uh, who who you rocking with the Lions now that your team's no longer standing? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna pull for the Lions. You know, I'm a Detroiter, so I'd like to see them go as far as they can. And uh, can't take Tampa Bay for granted, though. This have you got a prediction for the Super Bowl? Do I have a? As much as it pains me, <clears throat> our arch rival. You know, I'm a big Steeler fan, but mm. uh, I think the Ravens are gonna be gonna be tough to beat. They're at home throughout until they get to the Super Bowl. They got a tremendous yeah. defense, and they got probably the MVP of the year, Lamar Jackson. So. Um, if I had to pick one, uh, as you know, and I follow the NFL very closely, um, right now, uh, my bet would be on uh, the Baltimore Ravens. I'm not even going to ask BJ because he's going to say the Lions. But do you want to know my Super Bowl pick? <laughs> as 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 you know, I don't follow the NFL. I'm strictly <laughs> NBA. Mm-hmm. I did a little research, and I believe it's going to be San Francisco versus Baltimore in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. And the Baltimore yeah. Ravens will win. Do you want to know how I know this? The previous two Super Bowls, the color scheme that they used for the branding matched the two teams that met in the finals. So in 2021, you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, Was it the Buccaneers? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And they they won it. And it was, Mm -hmm. they used the orange logo, which matched with them. And then um, when you had the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles, Eagles, Mm-hmm. Um, the the branding matched them, and the Kansas City Chiefs won that. Uh, the year before, um, the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals, the branding colorways matched them. And this year, the branding is out, and it's red and purple. And so, I'm gonna go with those two teams. That's my okay. that's my scientific that's approach typical, to it. This is okay. All <laughs> and right. if this is correct, and if this is correct, I promise you, I will never watch the NFL because. If it is San Francisco versus Baltimore and Baltimore win, 
is 100% fixed. And so I will never, ever watch that league in my life. So you guys want me to become an NFL fan. You better pray those two teams don't make it to the Super Bowl. Otherwise, I'm leaking the script every year. Anyway, back to the important business and talking about the best sport in the world, basketball, the NBA. We had a big trade this week. Pascal Siakam, finally, after years of speculation, was moved on from the Toronto Raptors. And he now joins Tyrese Halliburton in the team I'm now naming Pascal Burton in the Indiana Pacers. Off the bat, what was your instant reaction when you saw that trade come through? Were you surprised or was it just you were expecting it? What was your take on it, Scott? Well, I was expecting a trade to happen. Uh, you never know for sure which team it was going to be, but I think Indiana was uh, very well positioned to come to the table, complete the trade. Obviously, they gave up three first-round picks uh, to Toronto, uh, but they got a player in Pascal Siakam that I believe really fits their team. You know, he's a all-star athletic starting forward. You know, he's going to probably play the majority at the, at the four position, but probably can guard a few threes as well. Uh, you know, he's averaged over 20 points a game. He's a former NBA champion. And the Pacers window is now. It's just opening up, you know, for them, you know, to, to compete in the Eastern Conference. You know, you mentioned Tyrese Halliburton, you know, who's ascended to be one of the, become one of the best point guards in this league. And so now you go out and get him a player who can play with him, compliments him very well. He can play at the pace that the Pacers play at, which is very fast. And um, I think it's an excellent fit for them. And their window, like I said, is opened now and can be open for quite some time uh, over the next few years. So uh, a great job by Indiana uh, with this trade. And and mm -hmm. from the Raptors perspective, we'll, you know, we'll talk about that a little more, I, but I'll let BJ uh, comment on the Indiana part. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't as high on the trade as, as some um, with the Pasco Siakam trade. And, and here's why. You know, there, there was a young player I thought was playing terrific for them in Obi Toppin. And Pascal Siakam and Obi Toppin, to me, they are a duplicate of one another, even though Siakam is clearly more accomplished. He's an all-star, so forth and so on. However, you know, when you're building a team and when you have a roster and suddenly you find a chemistry that works, for whatever the reason may be, I believe that's worth letting that play itself out. And whatever was going on up there in Indiana, I mean, Indiana played in the championship round for the in-season tournament. Halliburton's clearly elevated his game. Miles Turner and all of these guys. And it seemed to fit. Bruce Brown, they had a fit. And I thought this group was worthy to allow themselves to figure out their potential and who they're going to be as this year developed. However, that didn't happen. Pias, you know, Siakam is a very good player. But, you know, all of a sudden, the first game that they play, they lose to the Portland Trailblazers. Not taking away anything to the Portland Trailblazers. Mm -hmm. Now the rotation is, is different. Now the roles are different. <laughs> and the one player that I referred to, Obi Toppin, who was, has been terrific. I mean, he's just been terrific for them. Mm-hmm shooting the ball, shooting three, so forth and so on. You know, we can debate the player, you know, the individual player. However, when you find something that works, I believe it's 
you got to allow that's the one thing analytics and all these things doesn't take into account is in my opinion is chemistry and that group seemed like they liked each other yeah like i think yeah. <clears throat> pascal siakam is is clearly a better player right now than obi Toppin. however right. the mm -hmm. way that indiana were playing this season with their fast pace up and down that's the ideal place for a player like Obi Toppin to play with someone like Tyrese Halliburton. And I'm not saying that he's not playing anymore. He's coming off the bench and he's going to have his minutes reduced. But it is kind of, you know, BJ, I'd be interested to hear from a player perspective. When a team trades for someone at your position, what's Obi Toppin thinking right now? Because there's still potential. There's still time until the trade deadline. Do you think Indiana is going to look to move him? Um, or, or do you think he's going to be happy with this trade that they basically said... You're a bench player. We're bringing in someone to start ahead of you. Well, you, you know, it, it's a number of ways you can go with that. And if you're an accomplished player, I think you have a better grasp of possibly, not all the time, but possibly a better understanding of the business of the sport. You know, things happen all the time. However, when you are trying to find your way, I mean, Obi Toppin, I thought he made a nice jump this year from last year to this year and what he was able to do because he was contributing to a winning situation. A lot of times guys, you'll see players play and they become what I've just called. And I think many around the league, you know, you become a good player on a, a on a bad team, but suddenly Obi Toppin goes from a, you know, he's a, he's a backup a, a year ago. And I don't know how much of a part he had in that team. I thought he was a, a big part of what the Knicks were doing. However, he wasn't a day-to-day -day starter like he had become there in Indiana. And I thought that said a lot about this young man when he had an opportunity that he was ready for his opportunity. Suddenly now, mm -hmm. another young player. So even though I, th I think Obi is a terrific teammate, first of all, I mean, I don't know him. Scott, you know him. You probably yeah. can say no. better. I think he's a terrific teammate. I think this has to be a blow to his ego because – I mean, they, that's why they traded for Obi Toppin and he delivered. And suddenly now he's got to find another role and adjust mm -hmm. another role during the season in which he was already, to me, yeah. he had made a step as a starter in this league. So yeah. we'll see how it plays yeah. out. But mm -hmm. I, I think, I think Obi Toppin right now has to just find his way. I mean, this is sometimes you got to play the hand that you dealt and uh, this is his, this is his hand now and he's got to figure it out. You know, one thing though, that I will add though, why I th also I think why Indiana ended up making the trade and as well as Obi played and you know I'm a huge fan of Obi Toppin tremendous young man but if you watched him a lot this year and Obi started the majority of the games but it was always questionable whether or not he was going to finish games so a lot of times they'd finish with Aaron uh, Naismith at mm -hmm. that position mm -hmm. now in bringing Siakam in there's no question who's going to be closing out games for you down the stretch. And, you know, again, it may take some time for that to come together and fit, but, you know, from their perspective, I can see them thinking, okay, <clears throat> let me have my closing lineup that I know I'm going to have each and every night. And obviously Siakam's going to be part of that. And, and you know, again, it's, it's a tough, tougher situation for Obi. He's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. So there's a lot of implications there for him, but I think that, um, <laughs> From the team's perspective, they probably uh, thought a little bit about that as well. I think you make a great point with the closing lineups because what you saw, especially like in the in-season tournament final, um, 
teams were just throwing two defenders at Halliburton. And they have other guys that can go and create their own shot. They've got Matherin, they've got, you know, all these, they've got a few guys, but I don't think any of them can do it at the level of Pascal Siakam now. You know, when the team throws two defenders at Tyrese Halliburton and the ball pings to Pascal Siakam, that's a lot harder to stop given his size advantage as well than some of the guards and the, and the wings that they have on the roster currently. Um, in total for the trade, in case anyone missed it, it was the Pacers receiving Pascal Siakam in a future second round pick. The Raptors received Bruce Brown, Jordan Nwora, Tyra Lewis Jr., three first round picks. Now the picks are interesting. And Scott, I want to get your perspective on this. Because mm -hmm. when you hear three first round picks, right. you think, okay, maybe this is an overpay. But right. it's the 2024 Pacers pick, which if the Pacers continue what they're doing this season and even improve, it should be up after the 20th pick. Right. Um, the worst of Houston, the Clippers, OKC, or Utah's 2024 first-round pick, given that mm -hmm. OKC are currently second in the West, that's, that's going to exactly. be a late 20s pick as well. And then mm -hmm. the 2026 Pacers top four protected. And with a player like Tyrese Halliburton, you expect the Pacers to be better in 2026 than they are now. So... It's mm -hmm. three first round picks, but they're right. all going to be in the mid to late twenties. Let's say, right? Right. No, yeah, no question. How, how do you view giving up the three first round picks in this it, trade? No, I, I mean, I think you you've kind of touching on the point. It's not, in my opinion, for an all star that much because again, look, you looking at you look at it this way: the 2024 draft, as we sit here today, doesn't appear that it's going to be very strong. Um, and so when you're talking about a couple picks in the late 20s, uh, I would venture to say you're probably not going to find a player as good as Pascal Siakam down mm -hmm. there in those late 20s. And so, and then the other pick, like you said, Indiana's going to be good, again, for uh, in a subsequent draft. Uh, so I, I think from their perspective, uh, it wasn't too much. It sounds good from the Toronto perspective. Maybe they can turn one or two of those picks into something else for them, be it a player or to get uh, another for use, you know, maybe trade one of these 2024 picks for a pick down the line, say, you know, 27, 28 for somebody who wants to get into this draft for a particular reason. So there's some flexibility there for uh, Toronto as well. But uh, I thought it was, um, um, <clears throat> more than a, a a fair price to pay if I'm Indiana. And I, I think Indiana did well, considering they only gave up um, Bruce Brown and Jordan Wara. The uh, Kyra Lewis came from New Orleans, who received cash yes. considerations. That was a move to get them under the luxury tax. But mm -hmm. the Pacers managed to do this deal without including Nemhard or Matherin or Jarris Walker, which are some of their key young players. Um, mm -hmm. Negotiating with Masai Ujiri is notoriously tough in this league. Um, we see reports all the time about how he sticks to what he wants. So from the Toronto Raptors side, I thought, you know, when I was hearing the rumors of this trade, that Obi Toppin would be included somewhat in this deal because I would have loved to have seen him reunited with Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett up there in Toronto. Um, but they managed to keep hold of him. Um, and then Bruce Brown, I don't think they were really going to renew his player option this summer anyway, which is for 23 million. The talk was that Indiana would have max cap space this summer and they could have signed Pascal Siakam outright without moving any of those pieces. But to do that, they would have had to renounce Obi Toppin, TJ McConnell, and Bruce Brown. Do you think it's better that they went in for the trade and gave up those late picks rather than clearing a cap space and signing him outright this summer? 
No, I do. Uh, but look, it's nothing like getting a guy in your building outright. Plus, now you're going to have his bird rights. So you can uh, assign him for a little bit more with him being in-house in now. And you get a chance to get him acclimated over these last few months with your situation. So I had no problem at all. You know, it's, it's uh, to me, much more of a certainty. You know, a guy goes into free agency, you never know. You know, and, you know, maybe in a few months, maybe Toronto would have decided, OK, we're going to pay him, mm. all, you know, this max money and keep him. You, you just don't know that. So uh, I, I really agree <clears throat> with Indiana going ahead and trading for this guy right now. Do you think it's a sure thing he stays, though, this summer? Because if he walks, then well, this whole trade is. Oh, yeah. No, there, there, there's no question about that. There's always, quote unquote, a risk. And there's, you know, there's not supposed to be any. um Pre-discussed uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, tampering. You know, We're just going to say Okay, going on. <laughs> but I, I have to believe, and I just, uh, and I read something that Pascal uh, Siakam had said before um, that uh, he, he, for some reason, he, he wanted to play or like playing with a guy like Miles Turner, a stretch five. Yeah, he told Toronto he wanted them to <laughs> get a stretch get, five yes, by Miles right. Turner, and they yes. got him Jakupertel, who's yes, maybe the opposite. Yes, <laughs> right. So. Uh, my guess is they probably got a good field. They look they're right in the mid, in, in the thick of things in the Eastern Conference right now. You know they're pretty confident they're going to be going to the playoffs. So now you know this guy wants to win. He's in a winning organization. He's got young talent around him, and he, I think he Pascal will see that he has a chance to win for the life of, you know, the contract he's going to sign this off season. So this, um, uh, to me, um, while there's always a little bit of inherent risk with that, uh, you know, that a guy could quote unquote walk, uh, I think they've probably done enough homework and they will do a job of, they, they have the advantage of recruiting him now for the next four to five months that no one else will have. Uh, that, that could possibly be a competitor to sign him elsewhere. And I think he'll love playing with Tyrese Halliburton. That's a player a no lot question. of guys around the league say Look, they would love to play as, with. As, and, and you, you, uh, BJ talks about it all the time, and, and I'm in total agreement. When you can play with a good point guard and you play a, a finisher like Pascal Siakam is, um, there's not a whole lot of them around like that in the league. Mm. So that will be a, a, a big selling point for him as well. And, you know, assuming that they do ultimately play well, you know, for the remainder of the season, uh, that'll be a big feather in the cap for Indiana in terms of keeping this guy. BJ, how are you seeing this for the Toronto Raptors side of things? Do you think they could have got a better deal elsewhere? Well, I, I like it when when teams get two or more players who actually can play in their rotation. And I thought the Toronto Raptors did an excellent job by getting R.J. Baird and Emmanuel quickly. Um, I mean, those were two starters, starter caliber players, even though quickly was a rotational player. I still, I mean, a rotational player coming off the bench. I mean, he could have easily been rookie. I mean, six man of the year. Yeah. No and he, without question, he was finishing games there consistently when he was in New York. So I like what they're doing. I think it's, I think the Toronto Raptors are not done. I think they're going to have to address the center position. They're very, very yeah. small right now. Do you see them moving Bruce Brown? I'm not sure what they're going to do. I think Bruce Brown right now, you know, with this contract situation is probably will be appealing to many teams. 
uh, because of you know, I think he has a if I it's a team option, I believe yeah. on the second yes, year. Yes, team team option, team yep. option on the second year. So if that is the case, I, I'm I'm sure that will provide what many executives today will call cap flexibility. Did <laughs> 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 you see they they throw that around? Mm-hmm. So I think they will look to do that. However, I I like what Toronto did. I think now they have quickly R.J. Beard and these guys, and they they can they can really build around. Uh, Scotty Barnes and these players, I think they have mm-hmm. a core young guys. They're all in the same age. You know, they're, they're versatile. They're athletic. They can all get out and defend and move the ball and play off the dribble. So I think it provides for them an interesting core of young players to build around. And, and I like what they're doing. However, it's not done. So we'll wait to yeah. see what the Raptors do to shore all of their missing pieces up. But I, I like what they've done. You know, the, 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 Pacers the, wanted, um, the Pacers wanted OG and Siakam from Toronto. And I think the Raptors did well making that OG deal first with New York because, no like question. you said, BJ, you know, getting RJ and Emmanuel quickly, I think is a better return. When you look at the totality of the trade packages they received for OG and Siakam, I think that oh, yeah. was a better return than what they would have got just dealing solely with Indiana for both players. Oh, I, I agree with that. Uh entirely there that's that's spot on in my opinion and look um the bruce brown part of the trade uh and i do believe uh, he very well could be on the move again before the deadline because as bj alluded to he's attractive to a lot of teams uh not only just because of his contract that you know more than likely people won't pick up that $23 million that uh, a, a team option. Cause that's a, that's a big number for a role player as good a role, as a role player as he is, but that's still a big number to, 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 to attach to your books. And so assuming that Toronto probably wouldn't want to do that as well in their building prospects to move him now to one of these teams who are really in the thick of things in the playoffs uh, you can definitely see that. Um, and again, so that is another vehicle for Masai and the Toronto Raptors to, you know, add another player or even potentially more draft capital uh, as a part of this trade. So it's, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's lining up well for him. And I, and I do, I do want to add too though, what BJ talked about them needing size. I mean, look, I watched the Raptors, a little bit last night when those guys returned back to New York to play the Knicks, mm-hmm. they were out. They were out rebounded by thirty. Mm-hmm. And there's no, you know, Pirtle obviously is hurt, but there's nothing behind him. So there's no physicality. There's no size. And again, I don't care what people say. And I know that a lot of teams play a lot of small ball, but when you get to grind it out, playoff type basketball, size still matters in this game. I, I got a question for That's you guys. Bruce Brown was the big signing for the Indiana Pacers in the offseason. And now just, what, three, four months into the season, they've traded him. Do you think that damages potential free agent signings in Indiana moving forwards? Or do you think that players aren't really taking note of that? I would, I don't think it does. I mean, I think people knew at the time, as much respect as there is for Bruce Brown, I think people know that there was that was an overpay, if you will. They paid him a lot to be able to get that uh, team option on him. 
he was going they want to get him because he brought some championship DNA, he competes, he plays hard. He brought a defensive component to a team that didn't have a lot of that. And now to be able to turn him in to an all-star player, uh, I think anybody looking at this and studying it, that if, if they're doing that fairly and objectively, wouldn't hold that against the Pacers. Now, BJ, you often talk about teams not wanting to trade with other teams in their division uh, or even their conference. But a team I think should go in for Bruce Brown, in my opinion, would be the Philadelphia 76ers. They have numerous assets that they can bundle to match the salary and some picks that they have from the James Harden trade. And I think adding that championship experience, um, as well as what he can do to deepen their wing rotation, would be a great fit. What are your thoughts to that? Bruce Brown to the Philadelphia 76ers? Yes. I, I, I don't like that as well, Mo. I, I'm, I, you know, Bruce Brown is a very unique player because of his size. He plays much bigger than what he is. And when you get to the conference finals or the players, I think they're probably going to see, you know, Giannis is going to be there. Jason Tatum's going to be there. And now it just becomes a size thing. And Bruce Brown is unique in his own right. However, I, I plan next to, you know, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, you know, I think they're already probably a little small with Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris some size on the wing, though. Yeah, yeah, but he's a you know he's playing he's, the power he, forward right forward. now. and he's yeah, a small, so yeah, he's I don't I don't right think that forward. gives you big yeah. size when you start playing against a Porzingis, Al Horford. You know, you you talking about Lopez and Giannis? I just think that's just too small. But you know, that's just uh, my perspective. I like Bruce. I like I like uh, Bruce. However, I don't know if that's the right fit for that team. Do you have any teams where you think Bruce Brown would be a good fit then when we're looking at contenders? Well, off the top, I, I would say probably going back to to Denver. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what yeah. that's what fit for him. I mean, mm. that fit for him. He could fit. See, he's not the he's if you're looking for a lot of scoring, that's not who he is. He's complimentary in that area area that's the reason why he fits so well in, in in denver because they have plenty of scoring throughout the roster Jokic and and murray and uh michael porter and all those guys um i mean for the team like the lakers usually his defensive presence his energy to help them get navigate the regular season um and obviously you know be productive in the in the playoffs that you know, that's one team that uh, could come to mind. Um, I mean, he could he, he could fit a lot of places. They have you know could could he help the Clippers in their bench unit even more? And, they, and I think they're deep. But again, you bring a guy who knows who he is and plays at, at a high role level. You know, <clears throat> at a high level as a role player. You know, all those kind of teams that, that I. I I would look forward for him if the playoff teams to really make a, a run for this guy if they have something to give up for him. So, what about your Boston Celtics, Mo? Oh, they ain't got that the would money be a good fit. They, they don't have the money, but but as a, as a, as a basketball team. fit, yeah. yeah, as a basketball fit, because you know when I watched that Toronto, I mean that uh, Boston and uh, Denver, Denver game, mm. what was clear to me, really, both teams. 
I, are you sure about the benches of both teams going mm -hmm. into the playoffs? To me, that looked like the weak area for both teams. I've been saying that about Boston all year. You know, really like their starting five, but what are they going to get off their bench? And then same thing uh, with Denver. As I watched that game, is there really a you know dependable two three guys that you know each and every night can come in and impact winning, especially at the playoff level. So uh, you know they've got time still to develop that. So we'll see. Well, um, before we move on to the teams I'm watching this week, I got another, I got another trade idea that I want your opinion on, Scott. And it involves your former team, the New York Knicks, because they gave up Emmanuel quickly, who was their spark plug off the bench. They could go out and offer Evan Fournier and a 2024 first round pick, I believe, from Dallas, and maybe even a couple more picks to go and get Malcolm Brogdon from the Portland Trailblazers, who are in a rebuild. What would you think of that trade? Well, he would address some of the scoring that they lack off the bench currently right now and, and the ability to, to go get his own shot a little bit. You know, he's proven that over his time. So he would address that. However, you know, you're still going to have a little bit of a log jam, you know, depending upon who else goes out. And who did you mention was going to go out? And that Evan, Evan Fournier, Fournier, just for the salary. Just, so just Fournier. They're, yeah. not sending, they're not sending Grimes out in your example? No. Okay, so now you're sitting there. I mean, they're different players because because I'm well, assuming point Grimes. Guy, all the rumors are that Grimes is going to be moved as well. So, yeah, right. Okay, so and I, I would know, assume they would want to get a big man in that deal. You know, with with Mitch yeah. Robinson still out. Yeah, but he he could help from the scoring perspective. He's experienced player. Um, again, I don't know what the minutes become. You know, they're playing Divincenzo a lot of minutes alongside Brunson. Uh, so you go get somebody like Malcolm Brogdon, you better be able to carve out a minimum of 25 minutes for him because you want to make sure the guy's happy being there in New York. Mm -hmm. And that right now, you know, so if they're willing to do that, then I like the move for the team. If they're not willing to commit to that, then I don't like it as much. Mm. What are your thoughts on uh, Quentin Grimes potentially being moved, BJ? Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I, I expected once they got DiVincenzo and Josh Hart. It's just not enough minutes, not enough time. You know, you, you always like depth. He was a starter when they acquired all of those players. And now you can see that, you know, DiVincenzo has moved in to that, to that spot. Josh Hart has clearly has the trust of, of Tibbs and, and and Brunson is gonna he's gonna be look a thirty five plus minute guy. So I don't oh, it's see coach Tibbs. Many, he can be a forty minute plus guy. Yeah, in the I don't yeah, see yes. a mm -hmm. lot. I don't see a lot of minutes there for them. And when you you know I was listening to you guys talk about you know Brogdon. I just don't see minutes for a a quality backup player who can't play the one and the two and defend in a way that they're going to have to play okay and that's what to me that's what made quickly a unique player uh in that in that scenario because you know listen Randall or Brunson are going to be the predominant ball handlers initiators scores for this team 
So Grimes, I, you know, listen, I, I think it's just inevitable that they're going to have to move him because I yeah. think he can play. And I think most people will probably look at him in their top 10 uh, on most teams in the, around the NBA, maybe some a little higher, maybe some not. But I think he's a quality player, and I just don't see any minutes there for him currently as the ro- as I look at their roster. You know, something came out this week. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Scott. Um, there was a source reportedly from the New York Knicks front office who said, well, the report from Bleach Report here says, one team source pointed out that in moving Toppin and Barrett and quickly, we got rid of the softies in the New York Knicks locker room. Um, and now the team consists nearly of hard-nosed defenders. What are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, from watching the Knicks, I don't think Emmanuel quickly is soft. I thought he played a good level of defense. I don't think Obi Toppin is soft. Like, what, what are your opinions on that? Look, look, none of those guys are soft. I'll just, let me just cut to the chase. None of those guys are soft players. They all were very highly competitive. Uh, they all tried to play 82 games. They battled through aches, pains, bruises, whatever the case may be. They were part of a group that led, you know, the Knicks to the conference semifinals last year. There's no denying that. So for that statement to come out, I think that's uh, totally unfair. And I would, I take issue with it. And I, I disagree with that vantage point totally. And I, and I don't think that uh, whoever said that um, really had no business or no place in doing that. And that's, that, that really doesn't show the class that otherwise they have shown uh, in, in, deal, in dealing with um, players that, you know, that have ultimately been traded. Because, I mean, they, they gave a great reception to those guys last night and, um, and barred and quickly. So, uh, but no, I, I would not deem any of those guys as soft players. And uh, if I felt so, I would say, you know, I would say differently, but uh, I've been around a a long time. My background is uh, very well known coming through the Detroit Pistons era and where we were extremely tough. Scott 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 from a mile off, huh? Exactly. exactly. So (laughs) I can can identify soft versus, you know, tough or in between or whatever the case may be, but to to label those guys as soft, totally inaccurate yeah I thought, I thought it was kind of odd you don't often see organizations especially front offices talking trash about players that they've just moved on usually it's you know he was a great player for us and we want the best for him xyz um mm-hmm. but what i did like was a, a little bit of trash talk in that raptors Knicks game where rj was at the free throw line and julius randall is just screaming i'm in his head he's gonna miss and then he breaks <laughs> the free I, I like that i like the little trash talk from the former teammates that was yeah. fun um oh, yeah Let's move on to the teams we're going to be keeping an eye on this week. BJ, who are you looking at? I'm looking at your Boston Celtics, Mo, and here's why. You know, they lost their first game. At home. At home. 20 and 0 up until then. And currently they have the best, yeah, they have the best record in the league. And I'm waiting, guys, I don't know about you, you all, but I'm waiting on a team to really claim or try to establish themselves, separate from the pack that they're the best team in the league, whether that's going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves, whether it's going to be the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, whoever. So I'm looking for the Celtics now to figure out what they're going to do. 
And I happen to agree with what Scott is saying. I think their bench is going to be a concern for them moving forward, especially as we head into the trade deadline. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to address that situation. But I'm looking at the Boston Celtics now. They're like six and four. They're playing roughly a little better than 500 basketball at the moment. And it's that time of the season. But I, I, I'm waiting for them to take that step. Either they Are they really the best team or are they just – you know, the best team up until the last four minutes when they've got to close yeah, out it's a game. Just, <laughs> I'm just waiting on one of these teams to really separate themselves from the rest of the pack. Well, the schedule this week yeah. looks interesting. They've got to deal with uh, Houston Rockets, Alperen Sengun, who had a monster game just last night against the Utah Jazz. Um, you know, it's interesting watching them throw different schemes at Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets. I want to see what they do against... Uh, Ime Adoka's Houston Rockets as Alperen Schengen is having a great season for them as a big man. Then they face the Dallas Mavericks on um, Monday night and have vivid nightmares of two different games in which Luka Doncic hit game winners against the Celtics. And then they've got the rivalry matchup with the Miami Heat on Friday, on Thursday night, sorry. And then they've got the Clippers next weekend coming up. So it's a it's a tough schedule in a, for the Boston Celtics. Um, we're going to see how they fare. Scott, what are your thoughts on Boston and their bench? What could they do to possibly address that? Because they don't have too many pieces that they can move without giving up one of their top six players, which I don't see them wanting to do. Yeah, no, they're in a tough situation in terms of being able to acquire additional help. Uh, aside from Al Horford, pretty much everyone else is unproven in that playoff basketball. I guess you can say that Peyton Pritchard has, has a little experience but is he good enough? Uh, you know, I think he's a, a tough competitor, but he's smallish in size. And who does he match up with defensively come mm. playoff time? It could be just problematic for the Celtics. No exactly. Worse, the and, ones you get switched, and, it's, uh, yeah, it's and, difficult. And the other thing, too, you you got to, you know, hope for, too, if you're the Celtics. You know, Christoph Porzingis, now you're talking about their other starter, um, keeping him healthy. And so that he's healthy to be able to go into the playoffs too, because that's been one of the things throughout his career is his health. Has he, you know, can he stay healthy long enough? And the one thing we don't know yet with him, like you know, with the other four starters, is how he's going to respond uh, during a deep playoff run. I think he responds well based on what I've been watching him play here this year in the regular season. But again, he still has to go through that. Um, so again. I, Maybe they can find a some sort of veteran uh, that's not playing much, who has a lot of playoff experience, that's on a minimum type contract that they could move to to add to enhance their depth some. Uh, no one comes to mind right this second, but I mean, I guess that's the area they're going to have to look at, given the constraints they have from a salary cap perspective and uh, ability to make moves going to this deadline. Yeah, because their bench, you've got Pritchard, you've got Sam Hauser, who's a very underrated defender, and he can shoot the three ball, but then you've got uh, O'Shea Brissett, you've got um, Luke Cornett, uh, Nemius Keita, who I think is pretty good. He just doesn't get enough minutes under Coach Joe Mazzola. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think there's yeah. a lot they can do, but it does worry no. me if they don't add depth, um, but they, they don't have a lot to give up. And I don't know if that Grant Williams trade exception has expired for them to absorb some salary. So, yeah. you know, if they still had Grant Williams though, that I think would be a huge boost to their bench. Oh, that would be, that, um, that would be and I think losing him was mm -hmm. not a great option this summer, um, but what could they do? So um, yeah, the Soics, 
I've said all season, I expect them to be number one in the East in the regular season, but I don't, and, and you know me, I love my Celtics. I don't see them as a finals team because of the depth, especially at the big man position. As much as, you know, you can love Luke Cornett and what he brings, I just don't know. You saw it against yeah. the Nuggets, just the physicality of having to go against Nikola Jokic. If you want to win an NBA championship, you're more than likely going to face the Nuggets in the finals. So we're going to have to see, but Scott, which team are you looking at this week? I am looking at the Cleveland Cavaliers, and here's why. Winners, the red hot uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. Exactly, the red hot. Winners are seven straight, mm-hmm. currently sitting in fourth place in the Eastern Conference. And they're on this hot streak without two of their top three players. No Darius Garland, no Evan Mobley. So what has happened during the seven-game stretch? I think uh, Donovan Mitchell is playing very good basketball it, look, it appears to me he's really settling in to the environment there in Cleveland and, and figuring out how to play with his teammates. And 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 um, so I think that's been a, a big help. Guys like George Niang and uh, Max Struess, who were brought in for the ability to shoot the basketballs, you know, space the floor on the, on the perimeter, both with some winning DNA. We played a lot of playoff basketball between the two of them. Uh, they are providing that type of play, leadership, uh, and professionalism necessary. And Jared Allen, over his last 11 games, has, average, uh, has had a double-double, 11 oh, straight he, games. He's been putting up crazy numbers he, in like the last 10 games. Gr- so he's been playing great. So now, when these guys start to come back, is what I'm only watching. I don't know. I, I think Garland has started to work back out after the Yeah, Mobley was working out the other day as well. And Mobley as well, too. So they got a big week ahead. I believe. Yeah, I I mean, I saw them in Paris. I saw Donovan Mitchell put up 45 points in a great performance. Mm-hmm. The, I went to a few of their training sessions, a few workouts. The vibes were immaculate. Um, but here's the thing about doing this podcast. I've spent so much time talking to BJ. I know exactly what he's about to say. And what he's going to say is the reason why the Cleveland Cavaliers are winning is Donovan Mitchell is finally playing the point guard position because he's an undersized player at the two. And Mm -hmm. now they put him at the one with Max Struess at the two. Their team all round is bigger rather than having a Garland and Mitchell backcourt. So Donovan Mitchell being a point guard, which BJ Armstrong has been pleading for for about three years on this podcast, (laughs) has finally (laughs) happened and they've won seven games in a row. So, mm-hmm. BJ, anything to add? <laughs> I, I, Mo, I, 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 as you know, I don't like to repeat myself. I, so, I think you do. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, three years later, that mm. it's happening. <laughs> but who, who knows? I mean, who knows? You know, yeah, who knows? I, I think that's it. I think that's it. But then it leaves the franchise with a tough decision with what do you do no, now? Are you going to move on from Garland and keep... Mitchell at your one is Mitchell going to stay and so on and so forth. I think adding Mobley to this team is going to help them a lot. But then once you add Garland, yes. not that it's any knock against Darius Garland as a basketball player. No. I'm just talking about the fit within the team. You then do become a much smaller side and yeah. other teams who have bigger guards have an easier run against you. So I'm looking at the Cavs because this week on their schedule, they've got two games against the Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks. Which is it's going to be interesting, especially given we're talking about size and Milwaukee, one of the bigger teams in the league right now. Um, but the team I'm looking at is over in the Western Conference. And that's, you know, the Cavs are on a seven-game streak. The Phoenix Suns have won their last four games. They finally managed to get something together. They beat the Pelicans, the Kings, the Blazers, and of course the LA Lakers. Um, 
but you know, they're they're not the best teams in the West right now. This week they've got the uh the Pacers. Oh, that's tonight after we record this show. Um, and then they've got the Bulls, the Mavericks, and then the Pacers again. So again, not too hard of a schedule, but for a team like Phoenix who's been struggling to find momentum, if they can extend this win streak to or or even win three of the next four games, coming into the trade deadline post all-star break, how much confidence can that build for a squad? Oh, I think it can build a tremendous amount of confidence. Um, look, what we know about that Phoenix team is they have three tremendous scores in Booker, Durant, and Bradley Beal. What we also know is we haven't seen them together. Now, finally, we're getting a chance to see them together somewhat on a consistent level. My expectation is that they will continue to grow play well and win more games as long as the three of those guys can stay healthy. Now it helps the role players really figure out how they can fit in and help those three win basketball games. That's where I think where, where they're at right now. Um, defensively, that will, to me, will be the biggest um, challenge for them because, again, we're talking about the prowess of those guys offensively, but how are they going to be defensively as they play the better teams and how are they going to fare on the glass rebounding the basketball um, against some of those teams? That will be the next thing for me that I'm going to evaluate, observe, and see where they actually sit with that. And maybe they try to address a little bit of that uh, at the trade deadline as well to add, you know, again, um, you know, another physical player up front that can help them on, on the defensive end, you know, in the back line of their defense. BJ, you dubbed yourself the point guard guru. Um, what are you seeing from Phoenix? You know, Devin Booker running the show at the point guard. How are you liking what you're seeing over there in Arizona? You know, when you when you say a point guard, it's it, it's a different game in this in the sense of what we have become accustomed to of what the duties are and the responsibility of a point guard by today's standard. Most of the lead guards today or the the players that we call one guards, they're actually scoring guards. It's some type of hybrid game now because you have to be able to score at that position. You know, Devin Booker, you know, I, I always look, when I look at hybrid players, I always say, are they a 1-2 or a 2-1? Are they a 2-3? Or three two or three mm, four yeah. for okay all right. Devin Booker is a scoring guard. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, there's, that, there's no doubt about it. He he's he's but he's he, been playing he, great at facilitating for his teammates. But in your most difficult moments, you always revert back to who you are. Mm. Okay, Devin Booker is a premier scoring guard in this league. I mean, he is a elite level scoring guard. Who happens, who happens to be able to mimic that position. But his natural instinct is not to initiate an offense. So do you think they need a point guard? I think they're going to have to find someone whose natural instinct is to organize a game. Because no matter who you are, you're going to have to go in an opposing team's arena and organize and rally the troops. I don't think that's Devin Booker's so what's, strong point. what's the difference between Devin Booker playing the one and Donovan Mitchell playing the one then? 
Donovan, it's, it's an excellent point. Devin Booker has the ability to play below the free throw line. Donovan Mitchell plays with his facing the basket. Permits play. And, yeah. and, and, and he plays facing the basket. Donovan Mitchell doesn't have the size to shoot over the top of players. Um, at the one, he can do that. Very rarely can he do that at the two. Where mm-hmm. on the other side, you have a player in 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 in, in Devin, Devin Booker. Booker where you know he's coming off screens off a down screen. That's a catch and shoot. Mm. That's a one dribble. But then the, the worry is now. Okay, so if you want a ball handler and a, and a point guard on the Phoenix Suns. You're then shifting everyone up a position, which my worry is not Devin Booker shifting up a position. It's Bradley Beal not having to play the three. And now you're undersized somewhat at that position. Well, that was my concern when they made that trade. Because mm. to me, that was the that was the whole concern. Because I'm making me repeat Phoenix, myself. I, again. I want you, Kevin Durant playing the three, not the four. You 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 have to play downhill <laughs> in today's game. You have to. It's absolutely necessary. Now. I don't know who's going to play, you know, downhill. Is that going to be Devin Booker doing that? Is that going to be Bradley Beal? And then you say Kevin Durant at the three. Well, as Kevin Durant has aged, I would argue that you want him to utilize his ability to play the three and the four. What's the point of having Kevin Durant if you don't utilize his versatility? To me, that's his most valuable asset. He can be the three, the four, and in some cases, he can be a small five. So if you just put a Kevin Durant at the three, to me, that's mismanaging yeah, no. a superior talent. Like yeah, but, but at the moment, he he's just at the four. Well, I, again, I again, I said, if you just put him in one position, yeah. you're mismanaging his talent. Now, I'm not the coach. I'm just sitting here. Kevin Durant is a seven-footer who, when he came into this league, Scott, and you correct me if I'm wrong, he was playing the two position. He was playing. He played. He played the two positions the entire so, rookie season. What's the point of having a player like this if you're just going to stick him at one position? His versatility, to me, is what makes him a magnificent player, especially in today's game. If we're going to truly have positionless players, well, here's one: mm. Kevin Durant could easily probably mimic the one if he so desired to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is that good of a player. So, I would argue figure out where you can utilize him. I just wouldn't want him to play against a Giannis solely or in the case last year, Aaron Gordon. I would try to move him around to figure out where do I have my advantage to force the other team to match up with his size and versatility. He, because of his, that's where, to me, that's what makes him great. But that's another discussion. Um, So we'll see what the, we'll see what the, what the Suns do. Because I know one thing that's happening in this league. You better have a Jamal Murray. You better have a John Morant. You better have a De'Aaron Fox. You better have a Jalen Brunson. You better have a Damian Lillard. These guys are essential to the way the game is played, and they take advantage of the game. You, you can't impede progress. So if you don't have a player who, has the, who doesn't have the ability to do that, I don't think you're taking advantage of the rules the way the game is played, but more importantly, they give your team a significant advantage by, you know, just the way the game is coached, played, and 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 how we're teaching young people how to play today. So you need that type of player. They're currently sitting in the eighth spot in the Western Conference. Do you see them finishing higher or lower 
than the eighth spot by the time the regular season is wrapped up. I think the expectations of this team probably are greater than what they're capable of doing. I, I, I again, I, I, I love the players individually. Bradley Beal, all-star caliber player. Devin Booker, certainly. Kevin Durant, these guys are Hall of Fame level players. However, when you look at their team and how are you going to match up with this team, you know, at their center position and the other players that they're supporting their, their so-called big three, I, I don't think this, I think this is probably a seventh or eighth seed team mm. when you look at their roster. And, you know, Kevin Durant, what you, the thing that I am, I'm very cautious with is Kevin Durant has a lot of miles and Kevin Durant is playing against bigger players than him. When I mean bigger, I mean weight wise. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause he, mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he's a, he's a seven footer. However, I think that has the potential guys to take a toll on him. Mm-hmm. Playing against big, that's why I think it's important for his health at this stage of his career, especially to let him play against players who are roughly around the same size as him weight wise. Yeah. So I'm a little cautious with extending those guys minutes. You know, Bradley Beal has certainly had his, you know, his uh, fair share of injuries in this season. And Devin Booker, you know, his hamstring seems to act up from time to time when you start loading these guys with minutes. So I'm very cautious with this team and what you can do with them on a night to night basis as they try to make a playoff push. So I think they are really a seven and eight team. But when you look at their roster and the names, you start saying they should be in, more, in the yeah. top four. So I just think they're probably playing at the level. They probably will get into the playoffs if they make it in this year. I think right now, four games separate position five and position 10 in the Western Conference, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. So it's very close. And we talk about this a lot, you know, the difference between regular season basketball and playoff basketball. And, you know, BJ, to your point about this roster, I, and, and this is just one man's opinion, I see in the playoffs more teams taking advantage of those weaknesses that you mentioned of versus in the regular season all the time. So in my, they may be able to get away just because they can, in this new NBA of just scoring and putting up points, and it may not be the formula to a championship or a deep playoff run, but I can see them um, inching into that, that sixth position at least being you know, a guaranteed spot in the Western Conference playoffs. Well, only time is going to tell. And we're going to be here with you with the Hoop Genius podcast the whole way through to the playoffs and beyond. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. You can come and join the conversation by joining the Discord community that is linked below. And don't forget to get your copy of NBA 2K24 through the link in the description as well. Scott will be back with us next Monday. BJ and I will be back with you tomorrow. Make sure oh, you're back this week, episode. bro. You're oh, back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I'll keep a good yeah. man down. I thought you was load manager. I didn't know um, what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, 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 hey. I thought we play all 82 over here. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw the new Clippers Arena opening, and I was trying to get a 10 day with them, showing them that I'm available for load management. But uh, but all the roster yeah, spots are full, so <laughs> we can be back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We'll be back and better than ever. See you guys very soon, and most importantly, get buckets.